Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Shows up, she's got Jesus in her belly, and Elizabeth has who in her belly? JBAP. And what does JBAP do when Jesus comes into the room? He jumps for joy, you know? Uh, and we also see the joy in the text in the moment when the angels break in on the shepherds tending their flocks. Uh, you guys remember that moment? There's just some shepherds. They're out keeping sheep, you know, just like they do. And then all of a sudden, all of heaven breaks in with a song, and there's all this joy right there in the middle of nowhere. And I really love that moment because it's, it's joy just for a handful of people that nobody else sees in many ways. And then there's that part in the gospel story about the Magi who bring gifts to the baby Jesus. And how many of you know when you receive gifts, that's just fun? That's just fun, isn't it? Yeah. You know, sometimes people say, well, I don't want anything for Christmas. You're lying. Yes, you do. You do want something for Christmas because it's fun. There's joy everywhere in the gospel story, which brings us back to the question I asked you at the beginning. Where does your joy come from? I'll just tell you about where some of my joy sometimes comes from. If I'm being honest, my joy is often rooted in surface circumstances. Anybody else here have that experience? Yeah. How many of you, how many of you have more joy when you have more money? Is it just me? Like sometimes I, I do. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. And how many of you have less joy when you have less money? Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Or, or just... I have more joy when I have worldly success or when things are easy. When I get to live, I I put this down too. When I get to live life on my own terms. You know, sometimes I associate joy with being able to do whatever I want. That's fun. I like that. Makes me happy on the inside for at least for a while, right? When I get to do whatever I want, whenever I want. But here's the problem with all of these circumstances. None of them are steady. None of them are steady. Hey, can I tell you something about having money? If you have money today, there's a very good chance tomorrow you won't. Who's had that experience? It's like, I got it today, and then tomorrow what happens, you know? You'll get a medical bill, your car will break down, or all of a sudden the IRS comes and says, you know, six years ago you didn't pay enough, and then you're like, what? How is this legal? And then you don't have any money, and then like, what happens to the joy? All those circumstances are not very steady. Like you can have worldly success today and then end up being a failure in six months or try something new and it just doesn't work. Or, 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 maybe, or maybe, maybe your joy is kind of like mine. Sometimes it's based on me getting to do what I want and then all of a sudden you end up in a situation where somebody's telling you what to do and you're like, this is not fun. And then it just kind of evaporates, Right? Well, here's what I want to do today. I want to talk to you about John the Baptist. He's a key figure in the gospel story. He's Jesus' older cousin. And uh, just like Jesus, John the Baptist had a miraculous birth. So there's a few things you got to know about JBAP. Uh, miraculous birth, older cousin of Jesus. How many of you have cousins that you're friends with? Of course you do. You're Kentuckians, right? <laughs> like <it's, laughs> Everybody in this room has cousins they have fun with. And uh, that was Jesus and John the Baptist. Um, 
here's another thing about John the Baptist. He was a Nazarite, which means uh, no alcohol and no haircuts. And some of us are like, that doesn't feel very joyful. <laughs> but he, he lived this very constrained life. And the Bible also tells us that he dressed really weird. He would, he would put on camel's hair and he ate locusts. Yummy, <laughs> yummy, <laughs> so good. He was a wild man, really. Uh, he was a prophet. Uh, but here's the thing that you don't often realize when you're reading the John the Baptist story. Uh, he was successful. He was successful. Uh, he was out in the middle of nowhere preaching that you could have your sins forgiven and he was baptizing people. And guess who came out to see him? Everybody. Everybody came out to see him, including Jesus. So there's this other part of his story where, where you have to look at it and go, man, he's successful. Like he's weird. Like he's really weird. He wears camel hair. He eats bugs. He won't drink. Doesn't have honey. Doesn't cut his hair. But he's successful somehow. And yet, one of the things we see in the life of John the Baptist is that he's always pointing to Jesus. Did you notice it in the morning, this morning's text? They come to him and they say, well, who are you? And he says immediately, I'm not the Messiah. Did you notice that? And they're like, well, are you Elijah? Nope. You the prophet? Nope. Who are you? I'm just a voice. I'm a voice in the desert crying out, make a way for the Lord. And he's always the one who's pointing to Jesus. What a way to live one's life, seeing and pointing to Jesus. Well, I want to write, I want to read to you one more text from John chapter 3, and it really brings in this idea of joy to us this morning. There's another moment where some folks come to John the Baptist, and here's what he says to them. No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare a way for him. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. So what is John the Baptist saying about himself? I'm the best man. And, and what is the best man's job to do? To witness and to what? Be happy, right? It's the bridegroom who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, what? I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the joy of seeing and pointing to Jesus. And I want to do this in three ways. Maybe we can put my little outline up. I want to talk about the joy of seeing and pointing to Jesus, number one, in a culture of me. Number two... I want to talk about the joy of pointing to Jesus. He's the one who illuminates and warms. And then I want to talk about greatness in God's kingdom, like actual greatness. Uh, number one, the joy of pointing to Jesus in a culture of me. One of the things we see in the text everywhere is that John the Baptist is always pointing to Jesus. He's always saying things like, I'm not the Messiah. He's the one I'm not worthy to untie his sandal. He's got to become greater. I'm going to become less. Uh, John the Baptist and the joy that he had in pointing to Jesus, it stands in contrast to the culture of me that every one of us 
lives in as a modern Western citizen. Can I tell you something about the world that we inhabit? It's a self-obsessed world. In fact, I was doing a lot of reading about this. Uh, There's been a lot of scholarship and a lot of activity in the academic world that has exploded, particularly in the last seven years, looking at the rise of narcissism in America. Uh, Individual narcissism, but then also group narcissism. And in a very long article on Vox titled, How the West Became a Self-Obsessed Culture, uh, the author outlines the rise of narcissistic behavior in our current culture. And one of the things that pops through this article again and again is the degree to which, if you're an American, without even thinking about it, we tend to associate too much of our success from our own efforts while also taking too much blame for our failures. This is one of the unique features of our increasingly narcissistic culture. We take too much, too much credit for our success and we take too much blame for our failures. The article also highlights some research from psychologist Richard Nisbet, and he dug into the roots of Western individualism, tracing it all the way back to the geography of ancient Greece. I thought this was kind of interesting, by the way. You were asking, like, uh, he's asking, like, where does this radical individualism that's beginning to give way to toxic narcissism, where does it come from? Well, it comes from some of our own Greek roots. Greek is a, uh, is a country full of separate rocky islands dotted with individual city-states. And to get ahead thousands of years ago, you couldn't be a part of big farming communities or something like that. You had to hustle as an individual, fishing or foraging or making olive oil or pottery or whatever. So this created an ideal, the ideal of selfhood of the individual as the prime source of success and accomplishment And this ideal persisted throughout the evolution of Western culture. Asian culture, however, 2,500 years ago, totally different than Greece, landlocked, low mountains, undulating landscapes. And to get ahead, what did you have to do? You had to be a part of big farming cooperations. You actually had to work with your neighbors in order for you to survive and for them to survive and for your community to, uh, to, to have productivity. And one of the things that Richard Nisbet did is he took groups of Westerners, particularly Americans, and then he took groups of Asians, and he showed them this cartoon. This is very interesting. So everybody sees the same cartoon, right? And the cartoon is something like this. So imagine a fish tank. And in the fish tank, there's one big flashy fish, and it's surrounded behind it with lots and lots of little fish. And then he shows it to Westerners, and he shows it to Easterners, and he tracks their eyes while they're looking at it, and he tracks what they're looking at. What do you think the Westerners look at? The big flashy fish. And what did our Eastern Asian uh, friends, what did they look at? The group of little fish, right? It is literally ingrained in the way that we see the world. And then later on in the article, the author reflected on his research and what he learned And he said this, the most important thing I learned is that we are, in a very literal sense, our culture. It's a mistake to think of culture as outside of us or as just one more factor in our lives. 
We, have, uh, we think we have free will and we decide who we are and what we believe, but it's really hard to square this with the reality of what we know about how culture shapes our minds. Isn't that wild? How many of you feel free? How many of you know you're being shaped by outside forces that you don't even know, right? Uh, I was looking on Facebook this week. Uh, there's, a, there's a Facebook group called Knowing the Narcissist. There's an entire Facebook group called Knowing the Narcissist. How many people do you think are in this group? <laughs> 10. <laughs> no, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of people in this group. And it's basically just a group of people telling stories about living life with a narcissistic parent or a narcissistic partner. And it's just unending, literally unending. Uh, we live not only in individualist culture, but we, we also live in one that is quickly becoming deeply narcissistic. Um, narcissism, it springs from a little bit of Greek mythology. Do you guys remember that bit of Greek mythology from way back in the day, Narcissus? Who did he love? And how did he, how did he figure that out? He looked at his reflection. But one of the things you realize that when you go back and read the story of Narcissus is this. It's not just that he looks into the pool, sees his reflection, and falls in love with himself. But one of the quiet themes in the story of Narcissus is that he's isolated and alone. Increasingly isolated and alone. And our culture has not only become radically self-obsessed, so many of our leaders are narcissists. How many of you have noticed that? How many of you noticed that, that one of the things it takes to be a political leader in America right now is just... Be a really, really insane narcissist. But can I tell you the sad part? So many of our leaders in the church are narcissists. How many of you have read the articles about the toxic things that have happened in church in the last five years? Can I tell you one of the connecting factors to every single one of these cases? It's leaders who are narcissists over and over again. And then there's also this, this note of like isolation, was reading this week, recent Gallup polls show that 25% of Americans are experiencing significant loneliness. Significant. 25% of Americans feel like they don't have deep connections or any friends. I actually think these things are connected. Even in sports, in the last year, you've probably heard your favorite sports star tell everybody on the court, what? I'm him. Joe Burrow? What does Joe Burrow say? I'm him. What does LeBron James say? I'm him. What does John the Baptist say? I'm not him. I'm not him. John the Baptist says he's him. He's him. And can I tell you something? There's a reason that John the Baptist can say, I've got the joy, like the actual joy. Like, John the Baptist had joy while eating a plate of locusts, guys. <laughs> There's something to that. The joy of pointing to Jesus. It's the joy of seeing Jesus. This is why here at the Vineyard, we sing, we sing for at least 30 minutes every Sunday. Can I tell you why we do that? Number one, we believe it's just like the order of the universe. Like you get this wrong, you got everything wrong. But, but when we come together and worship the Lord with song for at least 
25 or 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. How many of you know that's something we can all do together? That's the one part of the service where we can all do it together. And didn't you love everybody's voices singing this morning? Mm, all these winds and all these storms, your love is good and always for me. Like every voice in here was just so good. It's the reason why we sing together. It's also why we pray the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday here at the Vineyard. Why? Oh, especially those first two words, our father. It's not my father. It's not your father. He's our father. And one of the things that we want to do here is we want to deeply form our minds and our hearts and our spiritual imagination with the idea that God is our father. Can I tell you something? You can't do your life in God alone. You, you really can't. It is really a journey that we're on together. It's our Father, there's joy in being formed as the body of Christ, and there's joy in pointing to Jesus. And one of the things I would like to do this morning is invite the church during this season, you'll find joy when you find Jesus and point to him. Like real joy comes from seeing Jesus and pointing to him. Uh, Number two, why? Because he's the one who illuminates and warms. Maybe we can put John chapter one, six through eight up again. Look at what John says about Jesus. John sent a man, God sent a man named John the Baptist, what? To tell about the light. But who is the light, by the way? Jesus is the light. That everyone might believe because of his testimony, John himself was not the light. He's simply a witness to tell about the light. Jesus is the light. And I would like to say two things about the light this morning. Uh, Number one, light illuminates. And number two, light warms. Light illuminates and light warms. Uh, It illuminates. It shows things as they are. Uh, It makes it possible to move without getting hurt. Uh, It it isn't just practical, but it also shows the beauty and the goodness of the world as well. Like some of us here, what we need in our life right now is we need illumination. You know, you need somebody to turn the lights on for you. Some of us here feel lost, like you don't know where you're going. Uh, Some of you keep running into the same walls. Uh, Some of you have lost contact with the beauty and the goodness of the world. Whenever you've lost contact with the beauty and the goodness of the world, I want to tell you, you've lost contact with the light. You've lost contact with the light. That's part of what the light does is it shows you what is good and right in the world. Number two, light also warms. Ever put your hand next to a light bulb? Nice and toasty, isn't it? Uh, Who here has chickens in their backyard? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do bunch of crunchy hippies can't eat those Kroger eggs I need to make my own eggs (laughs) but when you get those chicks what do you do when you go to tractor supply and you get those chicks you got to also get the red bulb don't you because they need the they need the warmth that comes from that lamp like light illuminates but light also light also warms Church, there's joy in looking and pointing to Jesus. And the, and the joy is this. It's the joy of living an illuminated and warm life. Some of you today, you need direction. If, you, if you've lost direction or if you've lost contact with goodness and beauty, you've lost contact with the light. Uh, if, if you need warmth, the warmth that guards, guards against the cruelty and the brutality of a cold world, uh, you'll need Jesus. Can I tell you something about the world? 
It's cold and it's cruel. It can be. It can absolutely be. I mean, just like, get online for a minute. (laughs) Say anything anywhere on the internet, (laughs) you know, and find out what comes for you. Yeah. And and some of us, some of us need, need our hearts revived. You know, you need, you need the heat lamp put on the little chick of your heart. Guys, it's all I've got today. You have to work with me. Some of you are like, I don't like him. Okay, I'm sorry. But what do you do? What do you do in a cold and a cruel world? You, you have to find Jesus. You have to see him and point to him. You'll find the joy that comes from standing next to the groom. That's what you do, you know? There's, there's illumination and there is warmth in looking and pointing to Jesus. And one more thing, notice that in the text this morning, John chapter 1, 6 through 8, uh, notice that the light is outside of you. John is not the light, and if Jesus is the light, then the light is outside of who? It's outside of John. If it's outside of John, then it's outside of who? Me and you. This is actually very important. Here's what I want you to know. The light is not inside of you. The light that guides, it's, it's, not, it's not like inner contemplation. It's external. It's really important. The real joy and illumination of warmth isn't simply found in humanistic internal contemplation. Uh, even in the places where we do set our minds and hearts to contemplation, maybe we want to contemplate the divine mystery of union, it'll still be found in looking to Christ. It's always found in looking to Jesus. Number three, I want to talk to you about greatness in God's kingdom. This comes from Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. So we've seen a little bit about what John says about himself and about what John says about Jesus, but this is what Jesus says about John the Baptist. He says, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. True greatness this morning. True greatness and true joy. There's two kinds of greatness in this verse, by the way. The first kind of greatness is the kind that comes from pointing and seeing Jesus. That's what John the Baptist is known for. Uh, If you want to live like real greatness, there's this greatness that you can lean into today. And it simply comes from Pattern your life in some ways after John the Baptist. Look for Jesus in every circumstance and point others to him. Take none of his credit, you know? Take none of that credit, point it back to him. There'll be joy in your life and there'll be greatness that comes to your life, whether anybody else knows it or not. But there's a second kind of greatness that's in this text and it's at the very end here. Jesus says, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than great John the Baptist. There's some greatness that comes from just being included in the kingdom of heaven. And here's why there's greatness that's included in being in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, It's simply this, that Jesus shares all of his greatness. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the greatest, and part of his greatness is, is that he shares it with the least and the lost and the lowest. And so even in your emptiness... 
And even in your lack and even in the places where you do not have, uh, the good news for you this morning is, is that if you will get next to Jesus, he will give you every single thing you do not have and you could not get. He'll just he'll apply it to your life. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, I have, I have a hole in my life. Uh, I, have an ache, I, have an, I have an ache for greatness or I have an ache for, for significance. And here's what I want to tell you about that. Uh, every single person in here has an ache for significance. Uh, every human being was born with the hope for significance. And by the way, you can't repent for that. Like you'll never be able to repent for your desire of greatness. You, you, were, you were made to long for greatness. And, and if you use the standards of this world, you may make it or you may not. Uh, and in fact, most people won't. Most people won't. But here's the good news for every single person who has the ache and the longing for greatness in their heart. You can have true greatness and it's the true greatness that, it, that comes from being near, close and associated with Jesus. He will give you every single thing uh, that you lack and everything that you hope for uh, that's actually real is found in him. If you will see him and draw near to him, Jesus shares greatness with everyone. So today, here's what I want to say to the church. Number one, joy is available. Joy is available. Uh, the Advent season is a season of longing. Uh, it's a season of waiting. It's a season of hope. Uh, it's a season of holding out before God all the things that are incomplete in your life. That's part of what we want to do during this time. We want to say, you know what, God? Uh, in the same way that Israel waited for a Messiah, or in the same way that the world waits for resolution. God, these are the things that I'm waiting for. These are the things I'm longing for. We hold them out to God. But what I want to say to the church is that even in our waiting and even in our longing, joy is available to every person here. And not fake joy, not pretending either. Like the, the effervescent, bubbling joy that comes from seeing Jesus in your life and pointing to him. Every person here can lean into that because that joy is always flowing. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to invite the band back up. We're going to sing one more time. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time. <laughs>